Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I am convinced that the crucible of Sunday morning worship doesn't actually happen in this room, but it actually takes place in the five to ten minutes immediately following worship and sometimes in my email inbox on Monday morning. Yes, what, what we do together in our hour is powerful, it's faithful, it's transformative. We gather, we proclaim, we respond, we are sent forth. That's all good and fine, but it's, it's in the time after our time together that really shows what happened during our time together. The Sunday morning debrief, the receiving line following worship. It's wonderful, bewildering, and at times terrifying. More often than not, someone will make a comment about the weather or about lunch plans. You know, more than a few of you have noted that it hasn't rained since I arrived in town, so thanks for trying to pin that one on me. <laughs> Occasionally, I'll hear something really profound, like, I heard God speak today in worship. Or, you don't know how bad I needed to hear what you said. Good stuff. But every once in a while, I get a comment that just cuts through all the rest. Someone, usually waiting around until most people clear out, will step forward and say, I didn't like it. <laughs> but I don't know what I didn't like more, the sermon or the scripture. I don't know what I disliked more, the sermon or the scripture. Now, frankly, I, I feel for people who feel that way. I mean, have you read the Bible? Be careful. There's some wild stuff in there. Two female bears come out of the woods. They maul 42 young boys because they made fun of a prophet for being bald. Let that be a warning to you. That's 2 Kings <laughs> chapter 2. A preacher goes on a little too late into the evening, and there's a man who grows tired. He's dozing in the window. He becomes so tired, he falls out of the window and dies. Let that be a warning to preachers. Don't bore someone to death. That's Acts chapter 20. God commands a prophet to walk around naked for three whole years as a sign against foreign nations. Don't listen to God when he tells you to do that, okay? That's Isaiah chapter 20. And those are just the first three kind of wild things that come to my mind. But even Jesus has a penchant for strange stories. God is like a shepherd with a hundred sheep. And when one sheep goes missing, God leaves the 99 behind in order to find the one that's lost. You know, it's a quaint little story. It's one that we usually teach children at vacation Bible school. But you know what happens when you leave the flock behind in order to go after the one that's lost? You lose 99 more sheep. That's no way to run a shepherding business. God is like a sower who sows seeds all over the place, regardless of the kind of soil that it lands on. That's another nice one. It's good imagery for those of us who enjoy gardening. Except, if you ask anyone who has spent any time in agriculture, that's no way to do it. It's a tremendous waste of seeds if you're going to throw them on the sidewalk. And what about tilling the soil and moisture management? God doesn't have a green thumb. Or what about this one? 
two men go into the temple to pray. One of them's a Pharisee, a man committed to the word of the law, attentive to the demands of Scripture, gives a tenth of all that he makes to the church and to the poor. He could have run for office without fear of any skeletons being found in his closet. He was proud of who he was, and above all, he was clean. The other man, a reprehensible tax collector, a publican, taking money from his own people and giving it to the empire, a political traitor. He was dirty, the kind of man that no one made eye contact with. On that day, the Pharisee saw the good-for-nothing tax collector and declared in prayer, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that guy. Meanwhile, the tax collector, with fear and trembling in his voice, says, Please, God, help me. And he's the one who walks away forgiven, justified. I mean, Jesus, what kind of ship are you running? That's not fair. You keep telling stories like that, and no one's going to want to do any of this religious stuff. It's irresponsible. Jesus, you got the parable all wrong. It's the Pharisee who should walk away forgiven. He did all the right things. And the publican, he should have been thrown in jail. Or at the very least, kicked in the back alley when no one was looking. You know, two weeks ago, I decided to retell the parable of the prodigal. And one of you came up to me after worship with good intentions, I think, and said, well, I can't believe you said the F word in church. Dear friends, confession. I had to think back and wonder, did I, a man of the word, say such a word in my sermon? But before I had a chance to respond, one of you said forgiveness. That's a dangerous word. Forgiveness. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus about the positive and the negative consequences of the great shadow that God casts on our lives. When God God grabs hold of us, everything changes, whether we want it to or not. Somewhere along the line, we discover that God, God has given us this sacred and indestructible trust. We are all stuck with each other. And it's not easy being stuck with people especially when those people happen to be Pharisees and tax collectors. It's a challenge to be among such people, and yet here we are on a Sunday morning surrounded by sinners and scoundrels alike. You know, it's when discipleship gets hard that we know the mercy of God is with us. The weight of all these weighty expectations that Paul drops on us, put away all your wrath, all your bitterness and your malice, Be kind, tenderhearted. Forgive one another as God has forgiven you. The call to that kind of life is only for those who know they stand on God's grace alone. Put another way, it's only the spirit of freedom that gives us the freedom to forgive. But we can't help ourselves. We hear about the publican and the Pharisee, and we wonder, why does... This horrible tax collector get to walk away forgiven. And we can insert all sorts of reasons. Maybe the publican was a a man of the people. Maybe he was kind in spite of all of his tax collecting. And maybe the Pharisee was a religious bigot, a viper, a terror in his community. But Jesus doesn't say any of that. He says the publican walks away forgiven. Forgiveness is an odd thing. 
And I don't need to tell all of you that most of us don't believe it. Give us that good old time religion. You want school supplies? I'll give you school supplies. You want me to pray for my enemies? I'll pray for my enemies. You want me to give my clothing to someone who is? I'll do it. But don't ask me to forgive somebody. No, thank you. It's irresponsible. You can't just let people get away with stuff. We can't be too soft on sin. I mean, what makes forgiveness so difficult? You know, Jesus was teaching one day, and the disciples say, Wait a minute, JC. What you're saying is too much for us. You need to increase our faith. What was the topic of conversation? Was it about going the extra mile? Was it about turning the other cheek? Was it about praying for you? No, it was about forgiveness. And Peter, disciple supreme, says, Okay, Jesus, I hear you. We got to forgive, but can we put a limit on forgiveness? How about, let's say, seven times? This is a good biblical number. What do you think, JC? And Jesus says, No. If someone comes to you, you've got to forgive them 70 times, seven times. And Peter says something like, Lord, if we do that, we're going to go to our graves forgiving people. And Jesus says, Good. You figured it out. You're going to go to your grave forgiving people. We can't do it, Lord. Increase our faith. Forgiveness always comes at a cost. A cost for the one offering forgiveness and for the one who receives it. To offer forgiveness implies a willingness to see those who have wronged us as fellow sheep in need of a shepherd. And to receive forgiveness implies a willingness to admit that we are people who have wronged the other sheep in the fold. Jesus routinely criticized the religious leaders of his day for all sorts of nonsense. They were hypocrites and slanderers and thieves, and they kept heaping sin upon sin on the backs of their people. And then Jesus shows up, God in the flesh, and starts passing out forgiveness like it's going out of style to those who ask for it and even to those who don't know that they need it. Why then do we keep insisting on holding our grudges? Why do we keep those ledger books in our minds of all those wrongs that have happened, big and small, when our Lord, the Good Shepherd, is forever going out, beating on the bushes of life, looking for some dumb lost sheep, some tax collector, some Pharisee, just to bring him back home? Forgiveness it's hard. But in the end, we're all publicans and Pharisees. We all vacillate between lives of honesty and lives of denial. We hold on to our anger toward one another. And we foolishly assume that we've never been, made anyone angry at us. The worst kind of lostness is not knowing how lost we are at all. The worst kind of sin is believing that we don't have any. The worst kind of unforgiveness is to presume that we don't need forgiveness. But we are lost, each and every one of us. We are stuck hiding in the bushes of this life, far removed from our shepherd for the things we've done, the things we've left undone. And yet God, God keeps leaving 99 behind to come find people like you and me. Forgiveness is dangerous. But it gets even wilder because God forgives us before we have a chance to repent. 
I mean, consider the sheep. That sheep is probably going to get lost again and again and again. And the sheep doesn't say, oh, my shepherd, I will never, ever get lost again so long as you come rescue me. The sheep says, bah, and the shepherd comes. Think about the sower scattering seeds all over the place. The sower doesn't check to see if the soil's good enough to receive the seed. The sower keeps sowing no matter what. Think about the publican. He walks away forgiven, but we don't hear anything about whether or not he mended his ways. He could go back to the temple day after day, 70 times, seven days, and he would be forgiven each and every time. Forgiveness, it surrounds us. It beats down upon our lives. It's in the strange new world of the Bible. It's in the prayers we pray. It's in the songs we sing. It's in the water with which we baptize. It's in the bread and cup that we share. It's everywhere. If we ever confess, we only confess to waking up to what we already have. In other words, we are forgiven not because we make ourselves forgivable. We are forgiven because we have a forgiver. And it's because we have a forgiver, the only one who can really offer forgiveness in the first place, we can do seemingly impossible things. We can put away all malice and anger and strife and fear because we are members of one another. We are one body. We are Christ's body. I mean, look at us. We're different people in different places with different faces we are unique from one another in unfathomable ways, and yet we are all equal in this. We're sinners. We're sinners who have been forgiven. In the end, the, the sheep who stray happen to be all of us, Pharisees and publicans alike. Each and every single one of us here is in need of forgiveness, and each and every single one of us have someone else that we need to forgive. And it isn't easy. It might even be dangerous. But truly, I tell you, there is something far worse than forgiveness. It's a life of hatred and resentment and bitterness and anger. It's outrageous stuff, forgiveness. It also just happens to be the way Jesus loves to do his thing. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.